Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Let's pray together. Father, we do need you now, right now in our lives. And we think about your work of redemption and grace in our lives. And God, we thank you that you're kind, that you're merciful, that you're our father, you're our dad. And as we look at friendship and we look at anger and the life of Saul and Lord also in David and Jonathan, we pray that you would teach us, that we would show us the kind of relationship that you desire with us and for us to have with others. God, we know that there's not any change apart from you, your work in our lives, our encounter with you, the power of the Holy Spirit. We invite you to come and do your work uh, in and through us. I just pray for real clarity and grace and strength in teaching your word this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friendship and anger defined. We're going to really find that in 1 Samuel chapter 20. We get a great example of friendship between David and Jonathan. Did you know that the word friend is used 115 times in Scripture? 115 times in Scripture. We're told that we're made in God's image. We know God in and of himself is a trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, but yet one. So God is a relationship in in of himself, and he's created us to have relationship. But oftentimes, we struggle in friendship, don't we? We struggle with how to be a good friend. Maybe you feel this morning, you feel very alone, you feel very isolated. Well, the scripture wants to teach us, instruct us on how to do relationship, how to do friendship. But also, it points us to our relationship with Jesus Christ. The ultimate relationship we were created for was to walk with Christ. But then also, what really destroys relationships? What blows relationships apart? A lot of times, it's anger. So as David and Jonathan are enjoying friendship, we find Saul living in this place of anger. We're going to cover this a little differently than normal if you regularly come to RMC. Is we're going to read through this chapter together. It's 42 verses, and I'm just going to read it as a story, as, as a narrative, and I would invite you to read with me. And then after that, we're going to go back, and we're going to look at how friendship is defined and how anger is defined. And as we read it together, if you would look at it from that lens of what does this teach me about friendship? Even before I begin to draw out points, what is God's word saying about friendship? As we look at Saul, what is God's word saying about anger? So let's look at verse 1 of 1 Samuel 20. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? Is it not so? Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desires, I will do it for you. 
And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go, that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then says, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. So this is going to be a test to see where Saul's heart is at in regards to David. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? But David said, Far be it from me, for I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you. Then would I not tell you. Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me, or what, if your father answers you roughly? So how am I going to get the news if Saul is angry of my absence? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go into the field. So both of them went out to the fields. So they're going to come up with some code language here to give this message. Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you. May the Lord do so much more to you, Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go into safety. And the Lord will be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your house you shall not cut off your house, your kindness from my house forever. Not even the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan's saying, please remember my house. Remember your covenant of kindness. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it in the hand of David's enemies. Verse 17. Now David again or now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. They renew their commitment, their covenant. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you, stand, when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hide on the day of the deed and remain by the stone of zeal. Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shoot at a target. So these arrows are going to communicate where Saul's heart is at. And there I will send a lad saying, go and find the arrows. If I expressively say to the, at the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come, then as the Lord lives, there's safety for you and no harm. So if the arrows are on this side, it means that there's safety. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you, go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord be between you and me forever. So if the arrows are beyond the boy, then that means, David, you need to run for your life. Then David hid in the field, and when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. This is a feast that they would celebrate together. David will be absent. Now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place 
was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. So if you were unclean, you couldn't come to the feast. Going back to the law, if you had done something, touched something that made you unclean. So he's thinking, well, David must just simply be unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? Second day, now his absence is dealt with. So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. David's not with us because he's back at Bethlehem enjoying time with his family. Note in verse 30, this is going to be an important verse for us. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Not only does he ridicule Jonathan, but he ridicules Jonathan's mother. In verse 31, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore send and bring to me, for he shall surely die. Go get David, that I may kill him. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. Not only has he tried to kill David three times with the spear, but now he tries to kill his own son, Jonathan. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out in the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad who was with him. Then he said to his lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him, past him. Remember, that was the signal that David indeed needed to run for his life. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was with Jonathan, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan then cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out, after the lad, make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrow and came back to his master. But the lad didn't know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go carry them to the city. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from the place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times, and they kissed one another. Now, unfortunately, we have to cover this because of the culture that we live in. Some have tried to pervert Jonathan and David's friendship to think that and somehow they had a homosexual type of relationship. There's no indication of that of Scripture. That's just the twisting of sin, the twisting of culture. We read things like this, that they kissed each other. They kissed each other on the cheek. This was cultural. This is the, the way that friends, men, uh, greeted each other, said goodbye to one another. It's still very much a part of the Middle East, so please, by all means, don't read that into the text. And they went together, but David, but David no more so. 
Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, since we both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So first, what does this text tell us about friendship? If you're taking notes, there's several things. There's four things that we're going to point out. And the first is that friends are a refuge. Friends are a refuge. This is part of the purpose of a friendship that God has created. In verse 1, it tells us that David went to Jonathan and said, Saul is trying to kill David. Saul began to prophesy. God protected David supernaturally. And David's heart is broken. His life is upside down. And what does he do? He goes to his good friend, Jonathan. And that's God's intent for friendships is that we wouldn't just shoot the breeze together. We wouldn't just have a good time together, though that that's part of friendship, but that God is creating a bond so that when times get tough, we have a refuge that we can run to one another. It's so difficult in life to get through the challenges by ourselves. I want to try to broaden the topic of friendship this morning is to think of friendship also inside of your family. If you're married, hopefully you're a good friend to your spouse. Hopefully you're enjoying great friendship with your spouse. I think that that's the number one place that God would want to provide friendship. Brothers and sisters, that you would have good friendship inside of your own immediate family to have some relationship with, with your children because God desires for there to be refuge inside of friendship. Can you think of a few names, two or three, that if your life really fell apart, that you know that you could call, that you know that they would pick up the phone, that you know that they would go out of your way to be there? Now, let me tell you this. You're gonna need those type of friends because there's gonna be calamities in life. There's gonna be trials in life. If you wait to form these kind of friendships until the storm comes, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to find friendship and relationship at those times. You want to have those relationships in place, knowing that the storms will come so that you're prepared. You have a refuge to go for. One of the things that I encourage people to do is to be plugged into a church family, not just to be religious, not just to be legalistic, not to lay heavy trips on people, but because God says to fellowship with believers, to be knit with brothers and sisters in Christ because God loves us. And he knows that life is going to be difficult, and he desires for us to be able to support one another. It's very, very important to invest in those relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ because God intends for friendship to be a refuge. For us to even understand the concept of friendship is to know, you know what? For these people that are my friends, I'm committing to be a refuge for them. I'm open to them coming to me when things get difficult. I want my spouse to, to come to me when things are, are challenging. That's why we got, got married. I want my children to, to come to me when things are tough because I want to be a refuge for them. And so it's important to, to understand that. And then also, we find in Jesus the ultimate friend. Now, I know for some of you, it's offensive to think of God as a friend because you don't believe that it's reverent. Now, I would agree with you, however, we'll find later on in this study that Jesus calls us his friends. 
So this is a way that God wants us to relate to him. It's not the only way that we relate to God. It's not just a friendship relationship with God. He he is our God. He is our Savior. We're reverent towards him. We we don't just treat him like we would would treat a, a buddy, but God desires deep and personal companionship with us, and Jesus is the ultimate refuge. He's the ultimate refuge. And again, I think it's difficult, it's more difficult to experience Jesus as our refuge if we're not walking with him on a daily basis, if we're not logging time with him. Man, he'll still be a refuge if we've been neglecting that. He'll be a more than sufficient refuge, and he's gracious. But how much more so if you're building your house on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. You're spending time with Jesus. You're applying his word, and all of a sudden, it's not a foreign place to go. We don't just go into this refuge when times are difficult. Our life is in the refuge. Our, our life is in Jesus. Amen? So that's the first thing that we see with friendship is that friendship is a refuge. And the second thing that we see is that friends are loyal. If you look at verse 3, friends are loyal. Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, there's but a step between me and death. Jonathan's loyalty is tested to David. This would be an easy time for Jonathan to say, it's not beneficial for you to be my friend. However, Jonathan's loyal. He understood when he made this covenant of friendship that he was going to be David's friend through the thick and the thin. However, also, David's loyalty is tested towards Jonathan. David will become king. And the easy thing then to do would be to wipe out all of Saul's descendants, which would include Jonathan's children. David will not do that. David will honor his commitment to Jonathan. He will show favor to Jonathan's children. We see that in the life of Mephibosheth. Say that five times fast. Mephibosheth, right? So both of them, in this journey of friendship, their loyalty is going to be tested. Again, in the husband-wife relationship, if, if you're married, you need to be loyal to your spouse. Loyal in your vows, loyal in your commitments, but loyal in friendship. Maybe your spouse is going through a difficult time or season, and they're not quite themselves. They're not who you know them to be. It's out of character because of the stress and, and, and the trial and the heartache and the challenge with health. And what are you going to do? Are you going to go, well, it's not who I married. They're not who they normally are. No, you're, you're going to be loyal to them. You're going to stand by them. I hope you don't allow people to belittle your spouse because that's my wife. That, that's my husband. Sorry, I'm not going to sit here silently while you be, belittle them. I hope you don't belittle your spouse. That's no fun when people are hanging out and married couples are hanging out and all of a sudden a husband or wife starts teeing off on their spouse in front of everybody and you're like, you know what guys, you should probably go talk about that alone. Like the husband really wants to make a point so he's going to bring it up in front of all the friends. You know, the wife really wants to to make a point about her husband so she's going to belittle him in front of all the friends. No, you be loyal. You be loyal to to your spouse. If you want a good friendship with your spouse, be loyal to your spouse. So a friend goes through a hard time, be loyal to them. Is there a little bit of risk that's involved now in this friendship? Be loyal to them. Friendship over a long period of time will test this 
loyalty. I don't think that you get to a true, genuine, deep-rooted friendship until the loyalty's tested. If a friendship can endure some kind of storm, then you know it's going to be a lasting friendship. But if the loyalty is broken through the calamity, then you see the status or the substance of the friendship. Proverbs actually gives us the most verses about friendship. And Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves when it's convenient. A friend loves when there's a benefit. No, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. That's the commitment that you're making in a friendship. Say, I'm going to love at all times. A brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27.10 says, Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Don't forsake your own friend or your father's friends. It's calling us to loyalty and friendship. The next thing that we see about friendship, I think it gets to the heart of friendship, is friends lay down their lives. Friends lay down their lives. We see this with Jonathan. Jonathan actually risks his life here. He's almost killed by his own father because of his friendship with David. Let's fast forward in the text and go to verse 33. It says, Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. He was willing to lay down his life for his friend David. We're a really self-focused culture, aren't we? It was interesting last night, Brian Sumner was mentioning that Satan really doesn't try to get us to worship him. Satan tries to get us to worship ourselves because he knows if we'll worship ourselves, it will be to our utmost destruction. So we're self-worshippers. That's our idol, is to worship ourselves. So it's very difficult to be a good friend in a very selfish culture. And in order to enjoy friendship and relationship, we've got to be willing to lay down our lives. Now here's what's challenging, okay, especially inside of the family unit, is men, I bet you, if somebody came in your house to hurt your family, you would lay down your life. You'd say, you know what, over my dead body, this is not going to take place. You are not going to hurt my wife. You're going to not hurt my kids. But yet, we will not unload the dishwasher. Not on your life. You know? I'll make the ultimate sacrifice, but by all means, I am not going to unload the dishwasher. There's no way I'm going to do that. Or I'm not taking out the trash. What's this? Did I miss something? I missed that. You got to help me out. You do. Hey, praise the Lord. So he's laying down his life right there. And the very simple things, right? Helping out with all the things that, that run the house, the, the laundry and the, the dishes. What, it's not the details of the task, but it's the heart of the service. It's the heart of the service saying, I see my family. I see the needs of my kids. I, I see the need of my wife. So I'm going to lay down my life uh, for them. And wives, you would probably protect your husbands to the death. Man, I'm just going to speak from my heart and be really frank, is ladies, you can be fierce. Like, 
Don't mess with a woman when it comes to her husband and her kids, right? You know, it's like mama bear comes out, the wife bear comes out, and you ladies are like, yep, sure does, whoop, 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 you know? <laughs> and you would defend, and you would defend your husband and your kids to the death. You, wouldn't, you also wouldn't allow somebody to come in and, and hurt your husband and hurt, hurt your kids. But yet, it can be difficult then to do some of the simple things for your husband, some of the simple things for your kids. A lot of times in friendship now outside of the home, we're wanting people to come to us. We're saying, you know what? If, if people would pay attention to my needs, if people would invite me over, if, if people would call me, if people would, would text me, all of a sudden there's a lot of me in those sentences, aren't there? And God's saying, are you willing to lay down your life for a friend and begin to think about their needs? And, and what, what is it in there? How can I bless them? How can I pray for them? How can I serve them? How can I, I be someone who brings bread to their souls? But this is the heart of friendship. And once again, we find it in Jesus. And Jesus pursues us in relationship. Isn't that amazing about Jesus? Is Jesus isn't saying, I'm waiting for you to pursue me. He's actively pursuing us, and this is what he's done for us. And this is John 15, 11 through 15. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is saying, I want you to have joy. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do whatever I've commanded you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus calls us his friends. Jesus says, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now love one another as I've loved you. How has Jesus loved us? Sacrificially, being other-centered, being willing to lay down our lives for us. Jonathan's a great example. Jesus is a great example. He's already done that for you. The last thing about friendship from this text is friends share the truth. Friends share the truth. We find in verse 36, then he said to his lad, now run, find the arrows which I shoot, as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. This is the arrow of truth. This is a painful arrow to shoot. It is the communication that needs to take place. David, your life is in jeopardy. My father truly does want to kill you. Now run for your life. And true friends will shoot the arrow of truth. Why do they do that? Because they love us. And as we speak truth to one another, we need to do it in love. But just like a friendship will be tested by a storm and calamity, a friendship will also be tested by its ability to speak truth in love. Friendship inside of marriage. You should be able to speak truth to one another. You should be able to hear truth from your spouse. If you can't listen to your spouse, who can you listen to? Pretty much if we can't listen to our spouse, then we can't listen to anybody no one has input in our lives. I'm a complete island. I know what I'm doing. I'm fine where I'm at. But yet we have the dark side of the moon. The, the part of us that we don't see, that everybody else sees, and our spouse is coming to us and saying, you know what? You might want to trim your nose hairs. No, no. I don't have nose hairs. Look at your own nose hairs, you know? Well, who else can tell you about your nose hairs? Your coworkers aren't going to come and say, hey, you got an Amazon forest <laughs> in your nostrils. You should probably take care of those, right? 
No, it's, it's your spouse that's going to speak the, those kinds of things to you. It's your friends. It's your friends. It's your true friends that are saying, I don't know what you had for dinner, but your breath smells like death. And you, you need to get a mint, right? You, you need to go get, get some gum. You're going to slay people here with your breath. A friend doesn't let a friend walk around with their zipper down. You don't do that, right? If you care about someone, you say, hey, you know what? Your zipper's down. I just want to tell you that right now. By the way, that is a great fear for a pastor that I'm going to teach a message with my zipper down, right? So. But friends, they speak the truth to, to one another. And this is difficult because we've got to be willing to receive it, but we also need to be willing to give it. And it may be time in someone that you consider to be a friend, it's a more personal relationship. It's not just an acquaintance. You, you, you call them a friend that you have to go through that process of speaking truth to them or receiving truth. Proverbs tells us in chapter 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. 27.17 of Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Now let's look at anger, anger defined in the life of Saul. Anger not dealt, dealt with will always be aroused. Anger that is not dealt with will always be aroused. Look at verse 30. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him. With Saul, he was a jealous, envious, bitter, angry man that was never dealt with. He never went inside of his heart and got those things rectified with the Lord. So because of that, he was just waiting to blow up. He was waiting to, to explode. We've seen it several times now in his life. He's just standing there with his spear, ready to do someone in. As I was praying through this text, it was really on my heart, the damage that anger does in relationships, how it hurts God's heart, how we do so much damage to people around us. And God doesn't want us to just study the life of Saul without the Lord doing a work in our hearts in this area of anger. So what does this mean? It means to allow God to empty those things out of us. Things tend to pile up, don't they? And if they're not dealt with, the pile gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And before we know it, we're so angry Somebody does something that's very minuscule and we take it out on them and it really has nothing to do with what they've just done. It's 15 years, it's 20 years of piled up, undealt with anger. So how do you deal with it? You confess it to the Lord. You agree with God. You say, God, I'm really angry. I admit that I'm an angry person. I'm a bitter person. And this has happened and this has happened. And God, would you forgive me for my anger? Would you soften my heart? This is something that only Christ can do in our hearts. And at least my experience is, it's not then that you're never going to struggle with anger. It's not then that there's just going to be this switch that flips, and from that point on, you're never going to be tempted with anger, but it's not piling up. Do you see the difference? And when you get tempted with anger, cry out to the Lord with help. When you give in to anger, be quick to, to confess it. But once again, you may not be willing to admit that you're angry. Imagine if someone tried to confront Saul in this state. Saul, you've really got a problem with your heart. You've got a heart problem. You're angry and you're bitter. You need to get right with the Lord. You need to confess this to the Lord. You need to allow God 
to do a work inside of you, man, it wouldn't have gone well. And maybe that's the same for you as well. Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to heal broken hearts. So we've got to deal with the anger inside of us. If not, it will be aroused. It's an angry lion inside of us. It's just waiting to be awakened. It's just a matter of time in our hearts, in our lives. So we see that about anger. The second thing that we see about anger is anger separates us from God and his work. As we've been studying the life of Saul, he's departed from God. And his anger is a symbol of that. And anger is going to separate you from, from the Lord. Not necessarily from salvation, but it is going to separate you from fellowship with God. Light can't dwell with darkness. So is God's wanting to commune with us? If I'm in a place of anger, it's separating me from fellowship with God. That's the greatest thing that I'm missing when I'm in that point of anger. And you might be saying, well, is all anger sin? No, because Jonathan in this text, he got angry, but he didn't sin. So there is righteous anger, but I'm referring more to in the life of Saul, the anger that is sinful. When I choose to walk in sinful anger, it's separating me from fellowship with the Lord. Would you agree that it separates you from fellowship with the Lord? But it also separates us from God's work. God's always working. Right now he's working, and every moment and every day he's working. He's got a plan, a will, and an agenda. And as soon as I get into that place of sinful anger, I'm not in that place where he is working. How do I know that? James 1, 19 through 20 says, so then... My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Have you noticed in the mirror that God's given you two ears and one mouth? He's given me two ears and one mouth. Why could that be? He's giving us a message. Hey, knucklehead, listen twice as much as you speak. That's hard to do as a pastor. I speak a lot, right? So I better do a lot of listening. Hey, Eric, you've got two ears. Why don't you try using them? One mouth. Want to listen before we speak, be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When I'm in the wrath of man, I'm not in the work of God. I'm not in the righteousness of God. Anger separates me from God and his work. This hit me in studying this this week, is anger demolishes our character. Anger demolishes our character. Saul is unrecognizable from where he began in this journey. Remember this young man who was looking for his father's donkeys, who had humility, who was touched by the Spirit? Now his life is not even recognizable. You might look at a building, and you're familiar with that building from 30 years ago, 15 years ago, and you go back maybe to the neighborhood you grew up in. I don't even recognize this. Maybe you grew up in Denver and you go back to Denver as the city's growing. And you, I, don't, I don't even recognize this. It's completely changed. And that's Saul. And church, that's what's going to happen to us if we don't allow God to deal with our anger. It's going to totally do a wrecking ball on our character. We're going to be someone that we never intended to be. Saul didn't intend to be in this place. He didn't go, hmm, I want to be an angry, homicidal maniac as king. That sounds like a lot of fun. I want to try to kill my own son. You don't get to this place because you intend to be there. It's a slow, steady process of anger being undealt with, but the ultimate result is it will demolish our character. The final thing about anger is anger destroys those that we love the most. Who did Saul try to kill with the spear at this point? 
now his own son, Jonathan. It started with David. It's unchecked. It's undealt with. Now it's his own son, Jonathan. This will be the place, the location that we tend to take our anger out. It's a fascinating study about life. but There is a certain civility that you will give to the person that is charging you for your groceries at the store, the checker. Most of us will give them a certain level of kindness and respect. If you go to get coffee, which I hope you do, it's a good thing, you probably treat that barista with a certain level of of respect. But also, the person that works at the grocery store, the person that works at the coffee house, they're not personal in your lives. They're not going to challenge you. They're not going to sin against you. You're not going to sin against them. You really don't enjoy a deep, meaningful relationship with them. But those that you do enjoy a deep, meaningful relationship with, those that I enjoy a deep, meaningful relationship with, we will tend to get angry with, and we will treat them in a way that we would never treat the person at the grocery store. That's a challenge for us. Saying, saying God, help me to give way more respect to, to those I love than to those at the grocery store. This should bring us to our knees and bring us to a place of conviction. I don't want to be in the place of Saul. I don't want to be treating the ones that I love the most with with a spear. So where do we go from here? What are some questions to consider? First is this, is what a friend that we find in Jesus. What a friend that we find in Jesus. He's loyal. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. When you're faithless, he remains faithful. Unconditional love. He's a refuge. He is a strong tower. He has laid down his life for us just to be in relationship with us. He wanted to be in relationship with us so bad that he died on the cross and rose again just so that he could be in communion with us today and for all of eternity. In fact, he loves us enough where he speaks the truth to us. He devoted a whole book to it, the Bible. Where in love, he's saying, oh man, this is the truth. Eric, this is gonna set you free. Eric, this is gonna make your, your life abundant. This is gonna make your life glorifying to me. You have that friend in Jesus. What a friend that we have in Jesus. We can rejoice in that. I hope you go away today securely in fellowship in the arms of Jesus Christ. And then what kind of friend am I? That's a harder question to ask. What kind of friend am I? Am I someone who's loyal, someone who's a refuge, Someone who's willing to lay down their, their life, speaks the truth. If I want friendship, if I want relationship, the Proverbs tells us I must be friendly. It says two times. I, I've got to be willing to, to initiate in that process. What kind of friend am I? And then I think probably the hardest question to deal with in this text is what can be done with my anger? What can be done with my anger? And society's asking that question. People that are atheists that don't believe in Christ. They, they acknowledge that anger is destructive in their lives. They go to classes, they read. They, everybody wants an answer to this question. Nobody wants to be like, like Saul. But yet, a lot of times, we, we continue in our anger, don't we? And this is where we come to the feet of Jesus. This is where we come to the cross. And instead of hiding it, instead of pretending like it doesn't exist, or it's not that bad, or I'm not as angry as I used to be, or I'm better than the rest of my family, is to go, God, I see my heart, and I've been piling up anger. It's bitterness, it's envy, it's, it's jealousy, it's all there. It's, it's been piling up on me. I haven't been dealing with it, 
and I realize that my heart is hard, God, would you forgive me of my anger? And would you take my heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh, a soft heart? Only God can do that. Only Jesus can do that. And he has the power to be able to do it. Maybe you've known somebody. Maybe it was a grandparent. Where they were angry, they were bitter, they were mean. Never dealt with the anger in their heart and their life. And then they turned it over to Jesus. Maybe they got saved. And they still struggled with anger. They weren't perfect. Sometimes they blew their top. But there was a difference than what we see in the life of Saul. They weren't going through their whole day with their spear, going, who can I pin against the wall? And there was a softening that took place, even in their old age. Jesus did something. That's true for us as believers. He can do that in our hearts and our lives as we go, God, I'm at the end of myself. I've tried to fix myself. I've done behavior management, and it just gets worse. Don't get angry. Don't get angry. Don't get angry. And I'm angry about trying to not get angry. I'm so irritated. Saying, God, I need you to work in my heart and my life, but I'm not gonna hide it. I'm not gonna push it to the side. I'm gonna acknowledge it before, before the Lord. So let's pray. Let's enter into God's presence. He's here to meet with us. Father, we wanna take a moment just to wait upon you. We wanna apply your word to our hearts and our lives. We know that not one word is wasted in scripture. Right now, we wanna rejoice, Jesus, that you are the ultimate friend. You're the friend that we have been looking for. Maybe you feel so broken in relationships and friendships, and God just wants to speak to your heart this morning that he is the one that you've been searching for. That love, that acceptance, that loyalty, it's in Jesus. Jesus, would you minister to those hearts? God, would you minister? Would you, would you just allow them to know that, that you are that friend that they've been longing for? God, we want to grow as a friend. We want to grow as a person that can be like Jonathan. Would you make us into Jonathans? God, we take a moment just to acknowledge our anger before you. God, we confess it's wrong. We confess that it's not right. And would you take our, our hearts of stone and would you make them soft? Would you do a work that only you could do through the work of your spirit? Father, I'm asking that you would touch hearts this morning. They're saying, I've been angry for so long and I don't even know why but I, I want to stop. I want to get to a place of real transformation. Lord, would you soften that heart? Would you do what only you can do through the power of your spirit? God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's